In today's episode of The Gerrymandering Project, we're talking about competitive elections. And speaking about competition, Blue Bottle Coffee is knocking all the competition out of the park. I'm talking about a coffee that is so delicious, so flavorful, that you'll realize you've been drinking subpar coffee your whole life. Hurry to bluebottlecoffee.com politics for $10 off your first coffee subscription order. Again, that's bluebottlecoffee.com politics. Let's all rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. I want to say right now, forgive me, I'm not going to use niceties because I am so upset over this situation. The best way to describe it, I think, is it was like a beehive. All kinds of people were there. And the way they were looking at me, I could just tell they weren't happy with me. That's Colleen Mathis. It was June 30th, 2011, and she was chairing a public hearing of Arizona's Independent Redistricting Commission, the group of citizens tasked with redrawing Arizona's political boundaries. It was a packed room. It was standing room only. My husband actually was there, and he went and stood in a doorway. He was concerned, frankly, for the safety of all of us, because it just seemed like a heightened level of intensity. The commission had just decided which mapping company should draw Arizona's new district lines, which are the boundaries that help determine who you vote for. And Republicans weren't happy. So slanted have your votes been against Republicans that there is no question what the goal of this commission is. But what can we expect when the independent is not really an independent? She's married to an activist Democrat. One after another, each of the people who filled out the request to speak forms came up and pretty much berated me, mostly. There are many mapping companies out there. I'm sorry, I am so upset that you could have picked that are non-political. Why didn't you? The mapping company had done work for Democratic campaigns, and Republicans blamed Mathis for choosing a biased company. After attending the last two meetings, my feelings are that this is a predetermined process with one agenda. Remap Arizona to improve Democratic representation. What you saw uh, after the the mapping consultant was appointed was a lot of pitchforks and torches here in Arizona because I think the public really knew at that point that the mapping wasn't going to be fair. You know, I I thought this commission was supposed to be nonpartisan. Damn it! You can't get any more partisan than this! It was scary, frankly, and I really didn't realize that we were going to get that kind of response. Arizona's redistricting process in 2011 was as close to a brawl as you'll ever see redistricting get. Uh, It was ugly, and it became highly personal and became almost a national spectacle. I'm Galen Druk, and this is the fourth installment of The Gerrymandering Project, a six-part series looking at how we draw districts in America. In each episode, we check out a different attempt to change the system and consider the challenges and trade-offs involved. Last week, we asked how to best represent minorities in North Carolina. In this episode, we look at attempts to make elections more competitive. Arizona is the only state in the country that requires officials to draw competitive districts when making political maps. But how competitive? And at what cost? In 2011, it fell to one woman to decide. And amid partisan uproar and threats to her safety, 
she learned that there's an awful lot of disagreement. And talk about political battles. There's a big battle being played out at the state capitol. It involves the governor, lawmakers, and the five people trying to redraw the district lines in our state. A challenge that could have a huge impact on politics in Arizona. We've seen a decimation of competitive congressional districts over the course of the last half century, and even in the last 20 years. That's David Wasserman, 538 contributor and House editor at the Cook Political Report. Arizona's competitive district requirement gets at one of the starkest political trends of the last half century, the decline in competitive congressional elections. In 1997, when we first put together our index of the partisanship of all 435 congressional districts, we measured that there were 164 districts that were competitive. Competitive meaning the district votes within five points of the national average in presidential elections, places where you'd expect close races. That has declined over the last 20 years, 56% to just 72 districts out of 435 today. Commentators, reformers, and politicians alike blame gerrymandering. I think political gerrymandering has resulted in a situation in which um, with 80% Democratic districts or 80% Republican districts uh, and no competition, uh, that that leads to more and more polarization in Congress and it gets harder and harder to get things done. That was President Obama speaking with NPR in 2015. But back to Arizona, where in 2000, three reformers, a Republican, a Democrat, and an independent, wrote a ballot initiative to take control of redistricting away from lawmakers. Instead, they wanted to give it to a citizen commission, hopefully creating competitive districts in the process. Dennis Burke was one of those three people. Non-competitive elections really means you don't have representative democracy. If someone is just uncontestable, that person is going to win that race. You really don't have any influence on them. Voters approved the initiative by a 12-point margin, and Arizona became one of a handful of states where a citizen commission draws the district maps. In 2000, Arizona passed Prop 106, also known as Fair Districts, Fair Elections. Prop 106 said the state legislature would no longer have the authority to draw the districts. Instead, an independent commission would do the job. Two Democrats, two Republicans, and an independent. The independent becomes the chairperson. So that chairperson has uh, tremendous influence. Mary Jo Pitzel, state government reporter at the Arizona Republic. Because it's a five-member panel, somebody's got to break the tie. Enter Colleen Mathis. She was picked to be the chair for the 2011 round of redistricting. If you're familiar with the, the Price is Right, the game show, it's literally come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. And from then on, you know, I'm holding the gavel. She was a healthcare administrator from Tucson with almost no prior political experience. I wanted to be more engaged and giving back in the community. Mathis doesn't affiliate with either the Republican or Democratic Party, a prerequisite for the job. I think that that's probably the best way to describe me, a, a postpartisan moderate who's pretty much in the middle. And I voted both for Democratic and Republican candidates. Up until now, she's been reluctant to talk about her experience on the commission. She refused to talk about the kind of hassle that she received. The maps were drawn in 2011, but the lawsuits against the commission only ended earlier this year. I feel more comfortable talking about some of the stuff we went through now. Some of the things today I haven't talked about before. The Arizona Constitution laid out six criteria for drawing districts. 
one of which was competitiveness. Mathis was particularly interested in that one. I think competitiveness is inherently an American value, and that I like to think that not just me as an independent, but all Americans like a fair fight. And so they want to see, whether it's in sports or politics or markets, that there's an opportunity for either side to win and and may the best candidate win. But Mathis had to consider more than just competitiveness. I'd love to draw nine competitive districts. That's not reality. We have to comply, as I said, with the Voting Rights Act, for instance. The districts were also required to have equal populations and be compact, for example. Creating competitive districts is the last criterion listed in the Constitution. And it says, quote, where to do so would create no significant detriment to the other goals. The Constitution is written in such a way that there's an argument to be made that it should be a a minor consideration. That's Willie Desmond, one of the mapping consultants for the commission. But it's also could be viewed as it should be a major consideration. That debate played out after a set of new maps were made in 2001. And the Arizona Supreme Court ruled that competitiveness should not be relegated to a secondary role. That leaves a lot of discretion to the commissioners. When does creating competitive districts cross into the realm of hurting the other goals? And what exactly does competitiveness even mean? There's no definition in the Constitution. All five of the commissioners agreed that it was a criteria outlined in the Arizona Constitution. I don't think they agreed on how much priority should be given to it. And that laid the groundwork for an intensely partisan debate. Republicans, who already had supermajorities in the state legislature at the time, were not in favor of more competition. Democrats, hoping to get more wins, were all for it. Both sides could emphasize different criteria or interpretations to justify themselves. And Colleen Mathis was stuck in the middle. People quickly reached this conclusion that she leaned Democratic. Colleen Mathis's push for competitive districts did align her with Democrats' interests. She and the Democrats also voted together on which lawyers and which mapping company to hire. This was seen as evidence that the chair with her vote was leaning towards the Democrats. And of course, Mathis, when asked about all this, would just say, well, no, it's not partisan. It's just that I think, you know, this was the better mapping consultant. This was the better law firm. It was the decision about which mapping company to use that led to those raucous public hearings. There are many mapping companies out there that you could have picked that are non-political. Why didn't you? The commission held meetings around the state, soliciting advice from the public on where to draw district lines. It was also a frequent forum for complaints of partisanship. They were probably already starting to bring up my husband's background and that his political involvement as a treasurer for a Democratic candidate in Arizona state politics was an indication that I was biased and couldn't be trusted. It made no sense to me. It's as if he is making decisions for me and that I can't think for myself. So it was kind of insulting and frankly crazy that people would think that. Then the lawsuit started. I filed a lawsuit alleging that they had violated the open meeting law. The first was brought by Tom Horn, Arizona's attorney general at the time. It's completely unbelievable that she was anything except an extreme partisan on the Democratic side. The claim was that Mathis colluded with the Democrats on the commission to hire the mapping firm with Democratic ties. We never had a meeting uh, of commissioners outside of a public meeting. 
So categorically, never a quorum with the Democrats outside of public session, didn't coordinate scoring of the mapping firms. Never. In the end, the court never found there to be a violation. Either way, the lawsuit stoked accusations of partisanship and drew new scrutiny to Mathis and the commission. There were a lot of efforts to try to unsettle her, to get her to step aside, to just sort of badger her out of the position. Inaccurate stories about Colleen Mathis having ties to Democrats appeared online. Somebody faked a picture of her and her husband walking into some building in Tucson, and it was portrayed as, see, they're walking into Congressman Grijalva's office. Except it wasn't. The photo was later retracted by the blog that posted it. Separately, State Senator Frank Antonori made a comment that unnerved Mathis. A few weeks after the mapping consultant decision, a sitting state senator had suggested, and it got reported in the press, that there was a target on me. And, um, and that was scary. He said, quote, the gun is loaded. And it's just figuring out what to point it at and when to pull the trigger, according to the Yellow Sheet Report, a political newsletter in Arizona. Antonori told the press at the time that he uses military analogies because he was in the military and that he wasn't targeting anyone. When people talk about targets and guns, it's not something to mess with. Only six months earlier, Mathis's congressional representative had been shot through the head at point-blank range. I was in Tucson when it happened, and... um, Anybody who was in Tucson remembers that day very well because it was it was a dark day. During a constituent meeting at a grocery store in Tucson, Congresswoman Gabby Giffords and 18 other people were shot. Six died. That unfortunate awfulness occurred in January of 2011. And I was sworn in March of 2011. And so this was that summer um, after that. And... Um, It's just, it's hard to talk about it. Mathis says she and her husband bought plywood at Home Depot and boarded up their bedroom windows. And uh, just ended up kind of making our bedroom at least a safe zone because we just felt kind of like it'd be nice to be able to sleep at night and not worry that somebody was looking in the windows or going to do anything. They also went to the Department of Justice in Washington. We talked to some folks at DOJ, and and they had an FBI person sit in. Their safety concerns would continue for years to come. In 2012, with litigation still ongoing, their house was broken into. A year after that, the commission's office was broken into, and the computers of all the commissioners were stolen. We don't know if it was related to redistricting, but um, that did occur. Mathis says her mother told her to quit. But I never was going to quit. I just knew that if you quit, you're giving in to... That's exactly what they want you to do. In the midst of all of this, the commission was drawing new electoral maps, with the debate over how to draw competitive districts still at the fore. If you look at the numbers, you might think it would be easy to draw competitive districts in Arizona. The registration would show it's almost evenly split among Republicans, Democrats, and independents, with Democrats being a third in line. Um, Republicans have a slight edge over people who have registered with no party. But there's a whole lot more to it than having a state that has approximately equal party registration. It's difficult to create a competitive map in Arizona, even though Arizona is a competitive state. 
when you look at statewide elections and presidential elections. It really comes down to the Voting Rights Act. Complying with the Voting Rights Act was interpreted to mean drawing two majority Latino districts. And those are by default Democratic districts because it's almost impossible to draw a Latino majority seat that is not going to heavily favor the Democratic Party. Basically, the commission had to pack a lot of Latinos and Democratic voters into two of Arizona's nine congressional districts. Once you satisfy the conditions of the Voting Rights Act, the rest of of a state tends to lean Republican. So how do you create competitive districts out of the remaining Republican-leaning territory? Surprise, surprise, Republicans and Democrats disagreed. I think the answer is you got to do it across the map. You've got to work on every district and show your work and show that you tried with equal fervor to make every district more competitive. That was Scott Freeman, one of the Republican commissioners. Freeman thought competitiveness meant making each of the seven remaining districts as competitive as possible while considering things like compactness and communities of interest. You can take that 70-30 district and maybe make it a 60-40, or that 60-40 district and make it 55-45. Yeah, it's not 50-50, but you've made it more competitive. In Arizona, that would mean all seven of the non-majority Latino districts would have an approximate partisan makeup of 58 to 42 percent favoring Republicans. That's according to Wasserman's calculation using the Cook Partisan Voter Index. You would likely have a map that elected seven Republicans and two Democrats. Essentially, Republicans would be able to distribute all the votes outside of those two Latino majority districts so that all seven of the remaining districts went their way. Democrats and Mathis saw competitiveness differently. Competitiveness to me means you'd have an equal number or percentage of Republicans, Democrats, and independents. That's also a pretty conventional interpretation of a competitive district, a district where you would expect a close race. But the VRA complicates things. Because it requires minority voters to be packed into districts together, the VRA districts in Arizona already had a lot of Democrats, keeping in mind that the state does lean Republican overall. That meant that there certainly weren't enough Democrats left over to have every non-VRA district be competitive. So Mathis says the commission tried to make three of the remaining seven districts competitive. And that required packing a lot of Republicans into other highly Republican districts. So in the end, they created four highly Republican districts, three competitive districts, and two highly Democratic Voting Rights Act districts. What we got was packing as many Republicans as possible in as few districts as possible and calling the other districts competitive. That's why you see so many Republicans arguing that competitive districts in places like Arizona are really Democratic gerrymanders. Again, Mathis saw things differently. If you look at the outcome of what we did, these are still Republican-favored maps in a way. There are four safe Republican seats that are drawn. There are two safe Democratic seats. The other three are competitive seats. Mathis's view of competitive districts only works, though, if you can successfully draw 50-50 districts. And in order to achieve three competitive districts out of the remaining seven, they had to engage in some conscious gerrymandering of the boundaries to favor competitiveness over uh, what would otherwise occur. Yes, he said it, gerrymandering. And this is where Arizona provides an important lesson in the conversation about competitive elections. 
Americans don't naturally live in nice, compact shapes with even mixes of Democrats and Republicans. Only 39% of the electorate lives in counties that were decided uh, by 20 points or less in the 2016 election. That's counties, not districts. Those lines don't change from decade to decade. Just think about that. Fewer than two in five Americans live in a county where the 2016 election wasn't a total blowout. And that's a new development. In 1992, it was the reverse. Fewer than two in five Americans lived in counties where the election was a blowout. Increasingly, Democrats and Republicans are self-sorting. They're living separately from one another. At The Cook Report, we went back and looked over the last 20 years at what was responsible for this decline in competitive congressional districts. And what we found was that 83% of the decline came as a result of the natural sorting of the electorate. When Wasserman says natural sorting, he's talking about Democrats clustering in cities and Republicans clustering in more rural areas. In other words, the vast majority of the decline in competitive elections is not directly the result of gerrymandering. In many ways, Americans themselves have destroyed competitive districts. So when you heard President Obama say this earlier... I think political gerrymandering has resulted in a situation in which um, with 80% Democratic districts or 80% Republican districts uh, and no competition. He was only partly right and mostly wrong. It's a common misconception that politicians are largely to blame for drawing polarized districts. And while politicians' antics may be driving us to seek like-minded neighbors, the main culprit in the disappearance of purple America is Americans. But it's also important to understand that self-sorting and gerrymandering are very related. They work in tandem. We know that Americans have segregated themselves based on their political beliefs in recent decades. They've also become more polarized and less likely to cross parties from one election to the next. Once that happens, you have discrete groups of reliable voters, and it becomes really easy to draw lines around them based on how you expect them to vote. If Democrats and Republicans intermingled and flipped parties from one election to the next, it would be much harder, or even impossible, to reliably gerrymander. Self-sorting makes gerrymandering possible. So that's a pretty stark reminder of voters moving with their feet, essentially, and, and redistricting themselves into highly Republican and highly Democratic districts. So drawing a competitive district means making a conscious effort to draw Democrats and Republicans back together. And sometimes that can involve drawing funky lines or splitting up communities. Again, here's Willie Desmond, the mapping consultant. We provided a lot of different metrics that they could use to determine if a district was or was not competitive. The commission used party registration information and data from past elections to do that. You can take past election results and see, had the last election been run at these current lines, what would the results have been in this district? And that's how they went about creating three competitive districts out of the total nine. And that is twice the rate of competitive districts nationally, because if a third of all congressional districts were competitive, you'd have 145 congressional districts across the country. And there are only 72. But that's not the end of the story. We'll get to whether or not those maps were approved in a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor, Blue Bottle Coffee. Elections may be getting less competitive in the U.S., but everywhere I turn, it seems like there's more and more competition in the coffee world. But 
Blue Bottle Coffee is knocking the competition out of the park. I'm talking about a coffee that is so delicious, so flavorful, that you'll realize you've been drinking subpar coffee your whole life. Simply put, Blue Bottle has an insane dedication to coffee. They source only the most delicious and sustainable coffee on the planet by working directly with growers from all over the world. And talk about taking freshness seriously? Check this out. You place your order online, and boom, within 48 hours, your beans are roasted and shipped right to your home. So your beans are at your door at peak freshness. No sitting on a store shelf for weeks. And you never have to worry about flavor, because Blue Bottle has something for everyone's taste buds. From the lighter, fruit-forward profiles to the deep, chocolatey espressos, Blue Bottle is undoubtedly the freshest, most delicious coffee out there. Hurry to bluebottlecoffee.com politics for $10 off your first coffee subscription order. And while you're there, be sure to check out their digital holiday store, because Blue Bottle Coffee makes a great gift. That's bluebottlecoffee.com politics. Again, bluebottlecoffee.com politics. And now, back to Arizona. Good evening and welcome to Horizon. I'm Ted Simons. The state Senate yesterday, in an unprecedented move, voted along party lines to remove independent redistricting chairwoman Colleen Mathis from her post. The Senate cited constitutional violations in making its decision. Shortly after the draft maps were approved, Mathis was removed from the commission by Republican Governor Jan Brewer with the concurrence of two-thirds of the Senate, a party line vote. She decided to go ahead and charge me with gross misconduct and inability to discharge the duties of office. That's when things were really scary in a way. The governor was concerned that Mathis colluded with the Democrats on the mapping company decision, that she improperly used competitiveness as a primary factor, and overall that she didn't follow some of the other mapping criteria. That was up to the governor. That was that was her decision at the time. She made it. She called for the removal of the chair. I think it was the appropriate decision. Here's Mary O'Grady, one of the commission's attorneys. It was horrifying. It just felt like all the political power of the state was being marshaled against the commission and its chair. It was unprecedented. I mean, yes, this was a new process, but that's a pretty extreme move. And it was very, very high-stakes drama. They, they pulled out the commission chairperson, so the commission immediately lawyered up. They went to the Arizona Supreme Court. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court, I represent Colleen Mathis. I had a grand finale. I'm going to start with it. That's Tom Lackett, former chief justice of the Arizona Supreme Court and a Republican. He represented Mathis in her lawsuit to be reinstated. Without an order of this court reinstating Colleen Mathis to her lawful, rightful position, the Independent Redistricting Commission becomes a joke, a laughable joke, subject to manipulation by the very people that the commission was designed to insulate from. He was very frank with us, and he just said, I want you to know, I don't know how this court will rule on your case. Colleen Mathis went to a lawyer's office to wait for a decision. This court ruled within two hours of the hearing, and they unanimously reinstated me. She was being true to the Constitution. The Constitution says competitiveness is a factor, and she respected that competitiveness was a factor. And so the commission returned to work and passed final maps. And then the proof's in the pudding. Let's see how these lines work in an actual election. And did we really favor 
Democrats? Did we end up producing Democratic maps? The votes are in. The people have spoken. In the next hour, we'll find out what Arizona voters had to say. The new maps were used for the first time in 2012. One seat was too close to call for a week and a half. But in the end, Democrats swept all three of the competitive districts. The Arizona House delegation was five Democrats and four Republicans in a state that cast almost 200,000 more votes for Republicans overall. I thought that people would say, yeah, that, you know, they gamed the system and this is the proof. And people did say exactly that. Various theories emerged as to why the competitive districts performed better for Democrats. Democrats say they put forward better candidates. Republicans say Democrats rigged the system. Here's Republican Commissioner Scott Freeman. I think the key mapping decisions with our redistricting were done in secret, that we learned about much later during uh, litigation, that key maps in districts were drawn in the commissioner's living room with the interim head of the state Democratic Party sitting right at that commissioner's side. In one lawsuit after the maps were passed, accusations came out that a Democratic commissioner, Linda McNulty, worked privately with the party's elections director at the time, D.J. Quinlan, to design districts. McNulty declined to be interviewed on tape, but I asked Quinlan what work they did together on Congressional District 9. It's a district in Maricopa County that Freeman says was deemed competitive, but has actually performed well for Democrats. Well, I I helped her to craft her ideas of what she wanted to create within Maricopa County. And I don't think it's, it's fair to say that what she created was adopted 100%. Anything they worked on did have to be presented in a public meeting and debated by the commissioners before it could be adopted. The statistics showed that it marginally, marginally favored, probably well within the margin of error. Democratic incumbent Kirsten Cinema won the 9th district by a 22-point margin in the last election. She's now running to replace Jeff Flake in the U.S. Senate. Quinlan says she's done well because she appeals to both sides. And she is ranked the single most moderate Democrat in the House today, according to her voting record. But given that Quinlan and McNulty did work together on District 9, and that Democrats have done well there, it's understandable that Republicans would say that district is an example of the lines being drawn to disadvantage them. No wrongdoing was found. But it's a reminder that everyone on the commission, except Colleen Mathis, was a partisan. And it illuminates how complicated and contentious drawing a competitive district can be. But that also only addresses one of the three competitive districts. And the other two districts are very competitive. The first district voted for a Democrat for House and Donald Trump for president. And the second district in Tucson voted for a Republican for House and Hillary Clinton for president. So... If that's not competitive, I'm not sure what is. Things changed in 2014, and the Republicans ended up winning back that seat. So now it's 5-4 Republicans. So in a way, the maps are really performing exactly as we drew them. Mathis's own district, District 2, was won by the Republican in 2014 by 179 votes, a 0.08% margin. There's some debate over whether competitive districts actually lead to notably more bipartisan or moderate politicians. Academic research has shown that while politicians from purple districts do trend more towards the middle, even they are still pretty polarized along party lines. Understanding that, in the case of Arizona, 
all three of the lawmakers from competitive districts do rank among the most moderate members of Congress. The people who are elected from these types of competitive districts, they're the ones who really do have political incentive to be seen with members of the other party and to co-sponsor legislation with members across the aisle. So if more of Congress were elected from competitive districts, I think we would see at least an uptick in bipartisan behavior. The commission faced five lawsuits from Republicans and went to the Supreme Court twice. The commission won every case. And the only accusations of working with the Democratic Party involve a Democratic commissioner. But still, Republicans in Arizona say Colleen Mathis's goal was to help Democrats. I think she was recruited. I think that from day one, uh, when she was appointed, the Democrats were very happy because they knew they had won the redistricting right there. So what were Mathis's motives? I know that's a common refrain, but I was not recruited by Democrats to do this, nor Republicans. I mean, no one recruited me. In fact, apart from being an independent, Mathis had only ever been registered as a Republican. As soon as I turned 18 and could register to vote, I registered as a Republican. And I remained a Republican for over 10 years at least. And my husband also was a registered Republican. But every Republican I talked to, the attorney general, the Republican vice chair of the commission, the Arizona Senate majority leader at the time, were all convinced that she was biased in favor of the Democrats. I didn't have any preconceived notions of how this should run. I really just wanted to be engaged in what I thought would be a really cool thing, frankly. And that was my motivation for doing this, really that opportunity to be in public service and and do something. Mary Jo Pitzel covered Mathis for years and couldn't find a reason to doubt her intentions. I mean, there's a lot of supposition. There is just, there's no evidence. At first glance, an independent commission seems like a tempting alternative to lawmakers being the one drawing the maps. But partisan politics can infect even independent bodies. And that's in large part because any commission will still have to interpret how to fulfill a map's various goals. Some of them are very easy. So all districts must be contiguous is a yes or no variable. Either the entire district touches the rest of the district or not. Things like respect for communities of interest are are much harder to define. And same thing with competitiveness. And often the criteria contradict each other. You know, two of the criteria in the Arizona Constitution are compactness, but also using natural boundaries. So what are natural boundaries often? A river, like a meandering river, right? Well, there is no less compact shape in nature than a meandering river. And that's an important theme in this series. People who seek to reform redistricting will have to balance competing goals that contradict each other. And in the case of drawing competitive districts, it may be asking reform to solve a problem that gerrymandering alone largely didn't cause. In last week's episode, we focused on minority representation and the Voting Rights Act in North Carolina. Compliance with the Voting Rights Act often means drawing together people with similar partisan leanings. And those districts are some of the safest districts in the country. That's in direct conflict with the idea of drawing competitive districts. Two weeks ago, when we looked at Wisconsin's Supreme Court case, the argument was that the party with the most votes should probably have the most seats. 
Well, in the process of trying to draw competitive districts, in 2012, Arizona ended up with Democrats winning more seats, even though Republicans received many more votes. Republicans see this as a Democratic gerrymander. Democrats and Colleen Mathis see this as a map that maximizes competitiveness. And it's possible to see either one of those things, depending on your perspective. Drawing competitive districts also meant they weren't always going to be the most compact. And they did split up some communities to do it. So take your pick. What was the right thing to prioritize? Mathis points to the wording of the proposition Arizonans voted on as proof that she was right to put a premium on competitiveness. The mission of the commission is a pretty compelling one. It's about overseeing the mapping of fair and competitive districts. And maybe next redistricting cycle, whoever leads the commission will interpret the criteria differently. After all, the whole process starts again in four years. We're skipping a week for the holidays, but in the next episode of The Gerrymandering Project, we head to California. California tried to remove partisan politics from the redistricting process and instead focused on existing geography and communities of interest. I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I was governor of the state of California from 2003 to 2011. California used to be an incumbent's paradise. It was in 2001 something that brought me to tears because it was a realization that we still have a lot of racism in this country. The more I got into it, and the more I saw how bad it was, the more I became a fanatic about it. Only one incumbent lost re-election between 2002 and 2010. There was a real moment of reflection about whether or not our democracy is functioning. I'm a big believer that we must terminate gerrymandering in America. That'll be in this feed the first week of January. This episode was reported and produced by me, Galen Druk, and edited by Chadwick Matlin. Our politics editor is Micah Cohen, and our interns for this episode were Kate Bakhtiarova and Alice Wilder. Ann Pope did the engineering and scoring. A special thanks to Tony Chow, Jody Avergan, David Wasserman, Vanessa Diaz, Sarah Ventre, Stina Sieg, and Josh Cohen. Remember to check out our Facebook group, The Gerrymandering Project, where you can share your experiences with gerrymandering, ask questions, and help answer some of our questions. Go to Facebook and search The Gerrymandering Project. You can also get in touch by emailing us at podcasts at 538.com, or of course, you can send me a tweet. If you're a fan of the show, leave the Politics Podcast a rating or review in the Apple Podcast Store. When you leave a rating, it helps our rankings, which helps others discover the show. Or just tell someone about this series. Of course, you can find our weekly politics podcast in this feed. We're taking a week off for the holidays, but we'll be back again in two weeks with another episode of The Gerrymandering Project. Until then, thanks for listening.